Bible Biogs in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, one character at a time. Author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont is in conversation with David Taverner. Well, this is going to be an interesting one, Mike, because we're focusing on Gabriel. But I thought this series of 30-minute biographies was all about real Bible characters. Well, of course, he is a real Bible character. (laughs) He's in the Bible and he's real. Um, But he's not a human. It's one of the ones we're looking at that we decided to pick out, didn't we? Because he is a little different, but clearly has a major role in both Old and New Testament, yet is not a human being. Uh, but is a, I think we'd have to say, a kind of angel. Oh, a kind of angel. A kind of angel, because it seems in the Bible there are all sorts of angels. So the first thing we're going to have to get rid of is um, they don't have wings. I mean, that really comes from art. There are some specific categories of angel in the Bible that do have wings, cherubim for example, seem to have wings. Well, we, I, when you say cherubim, I think of this sort of babe-like, I know we oversized, do, winged creature. The, the little cherub. But no, they were scary things. I mean, you look at some of these descriptions of angels in the Bible, and uh, some of them are, are pretty scary. And angels certainly don't have wings. In fact, often when they appear on earth, they appear, in fact, to be quite human and even mistaken for humans at times. And Gabriel is, I think we'd have to say, a very high category of of angel. He's one who seems to be particularly close um, to God. He is, in fact, one of only two angels in the whole of the Bible who has a name. Really? Gabriel, and the other one is Michael. All the others are just referred to as an angel or the angel of the Lord. And... um, Gabriel was actually, he had a particular title in what we call intertestamental Judaism. Oh, do you better explain that. The Judaism inter the two testaments, between the two testaments. Between the Old Testament between and the New Between the Testament. Old Testament and the New. And lots was going on in those 400 plus years that the Bible doesn't tell us about. But we have lots of Jewish writings from that time. And in those Jewish writings, uh, Gabriel uh, is often described as one of the angels of the presence, that is the presence of God. So he was seen as a very, very high category of angel who was particularly close to God, but who still served the same function as angels. Generally, the word angel simply means messenger, and angels are at heart messengers from God. I've heard the term archangel, archangel Gabriel. I mean, where does that come from then? Um, the short answer is I'm not sure where that title comes from as such. It's not biblical as such, but I think it probably comes out of this tradition that he was a very, very senior angel. And clearly the roles that we see him performing in the Bible mark him out as particularly special and carrying out very special functions for God. You've said he. So Gabriel and Michael, one imagines from their names, are male. Well, I suppose they're neither male nor female. Um, Remember Jesus talks in the New Testament when people were asking him about marriage and people were saying, well, you know, when I I get to heaven, will will there be marriage in heaven? 
And Jesus says, no, because we're going to be like the angels who who is sort of of a different order. Now, for all those out there who are worrying now that they're not going to recognize their loved one, I think Jesus is simply saying heaven by its very nature is so incredibly beyond anything we've ever experienced in life that even the intimacy of marriage is 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 nowhere near what we're going to experience in heaven. So um, they are given male names. Are they male in the sense of male and female? I suspect not. They are a category in their own right. But I'll probably keep calling him he simply because Gabriel and Michael are male names in the Hebrew. So where did Gabriel come from? Where, where, where do these angels come from? Well, the short answer is we're not really told. We don't get a sort of angelology in the Bible. In fact, the Bible is very clear to warn people about getting into that sort of stuff. Um, But what does seem clear is that they are created beings who are created to both worship God, but he's not sitting there as some megalomaniac in the sky saying, come on, tell me again, tell me again, how much do you love me? They're created, and by the very fact of their being created as spiritual beings, they just long to worship him. Uh, But their main function is to to serve God. They are his messengers, and they seem to have been created as spiritual beings, yet spiritual beings who can appear in very human forms to the point where at times they're even mistaken for human beings when they are here on earth. Now, I'm sure some people listening might think, is Mike not talking a lot of nonsense? I mean, what, what, this talk of angels, it, it's its sort of beyond our comprehension, isn't it? It is. But if we're going to take the Bible seriously, then angels come all the way through the Bible. We find them in the first book in Genesis. They're there. Abraham meets angels. They're there right through the Bible right through to the end. Jesus himself talks about angels. He talks about little children having a guardian angel in our language. So it may sound odd, but yet if you think about if God is a spiritual being who exists in a spiritual dimension yet who has reached out to create physicality and to engage and interact with this world, why can there not be things like angels, spiritual beings that God has created to serve him, particularly in the spiritual dimension? So there are parts of the Bible where we actually find stuff going on sort of in that spiritual dimension. There's a part in Daniel where he gets this message that the answer to his prayer didn't come straight away because there'd been a spiritual contest going on in the heavens with the angel being resisted by spiritual powers. And Paul talks in the New Testament about, you know, we're not just fighting flesh and blood, but spiritual principalities and powers. There's stuff going on in the spiritual dimension behind this physical dimension that we see. And we're we're all too quick in the 21st century to sort of say, you know, I'll only believe what I can see and and touch, and yet there is a whole spiritual dimension out there of whom God, of course, is the chief inhabitant of that spiritual dimension, but a dimension that breaks into ours because God is a God who engages with his creation, and angels are one of the way that he does that. Are there still angels today? Well, very much so, and in fact, if you talk to 
Some Christians today, they will tell you experiences. In fact, my own four-year-old American grandson, because my youngest daughter married an American, um, saw an angel when he was really quite young. His mother walked into his room one day and saw him sitting bolt upright in bed, staring ahead of him. And she said, Gabe, what's Gabe? He's Gabriel, in fact. Um, <laughs> he was staring and she said, what's wrong? And he just said, Mama, can you see him? And she wisely said, what? The angel. And she didn't poo-poo it. She just said, what's he like? Now, you know, I think most parents will probably say, oh, he's tall and wearing a white robe and he's got wings. And all he said was, he's huge. Hmm. Not the sort of thing you would expect a three-year-old hmm. to say at that time. And since then, there have been other occasions. He once met a couple of African orphans who'd just been adopted by uh, an American couple and almost matter-of-factly just said to his mum, those two have got two really big angels looking after them. In the midst of conversation that had nothing to do with it, these two kids have been through traumatic times. Mm. You can imagine them needing really big angels. Now, that's just one example mm. from within my own family. So Christians today still do experience angels. And do you know what? I think some of us probably experience angels and don't even know it. There's a part in the book of Hebrews that talks about us, you know, when we entertain strangers or welcome them, some have done that and entertained angels and not even been aware of it. Probably a reference back to when Abraham did that uh, with his two visitors. I had an experience personally some years ago when I was in India. It was shortly after the horrors of 9-11 and then when the West went into the Middle East in response to that uh, and someone mistook me for an American and got up and began to chase after me with a very large stick shouting and often in India sadly a crowd gathers and the policy seems to be join the punch up first and then ask later what was going on. And I just couldn't escape. And I'm thinking, Lord, I need your help. And suddenly, out of nowhere, literally on this deserted street, this man came, stood and stretched out his arms between me and this guy who was chasing me and sort of protected me and stared at this man. And it gave me time to rush into a very high-end shop and where I know the guy couldn't come. And as I turned around in the doorway... The guy had gone. And you've experienced that yourself, and that's your explanation? Well, I don't know what else it can have been. One moment, there was no one there. The next moment, there was someone there. I turn around. The street is empty and deserted. And I wouldn't base my whole doctrine of angels on that. I want to start with the Bible. But when I think of my grandson's experience and my all of those fit in with what I see in the Bible. So for me, hey, listen, the Bible is not a book just for yesterday. It's a book written, as it were, yesterday in inverted commas, but it's very much for today.
Well, well, let's look at Gabriel then, specifically. It's funny that your grandson is named Gabriel as well. Uh, and uh, go back in time. When, when's the first occurrence of Gabriel in the Bible? Yeah, well, we need to say we don't see lots of him in the Bible. In fact, he's very restricted in his appearance, though angels in a broader sense appear uh, much more widely. So one of the first places that we meet him is in the book of Daniel. Um, to do with Daniel's visions. Now, Daniel spends the first half of his life and certainly the first half of the book of Daniel interpreting dreams for others, so interpreting dreams for the kings of Babylon and, and, and earning their esteem. And then having interpreted dreams for others, God then, from chapter 7 onwards, starts to give him dreams of his own through which he is speaking a prophetic message. Just remind us of Daniel's situation. So where is Daniel at this point? So Daniel at this point is one of the young men who's been taken into exile from Judah and he is there in Babylon and along with his friends, because he comes from the higher echelons of society, has been taken to work in the court of the Babylonian king. So... Um, we're looking at a, a time when he's not where he would want to be, back in his homeland, but he's having to serve a pagan king. And for the first six chapters, he interprets dreams of various pagan kings in Babylon, but bringing them God's message. But then from chapter seven onwards, he starts to get messages himself from God. And so the first time to get back to our character that Gabriel appears is when Daniel has a vision of a ram and a goat, and he doesn't understand this. And in Daniel chapter 8, it's Gabriel who's sent by God to explain to him what the vision was all about. And the, the text says that he was trying to understand the meaning of the vision when someone who looked like a man stood in front of me. Someone who looked like a man. That's interesting, isn't it? It Mm. wasn't quite a man yet. It looked... Sounds like your experience. Like a man, absolutely. And then he hears this voice saying, Gabriel, ah, so the guy's name there. Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. And chapter 8 tells us that as Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, now listen to this, I became so terrified that I fell with my face to the ground. Now, that tells us something about Gabriel. He was an awesome angelic being. He falls down in fear. In the right use of that word. In the right use of that word. The true use of awesome rather than the (laughs) current one. And so in chapter 8, Gabriel then goes on to explain what the ram and the goat signify, two rising empires that are to come. Remember, he's in captivity in Babylon. That's been preceded by Assyria, Babylon, and the ram will mean Persia and the goat will mean Greece, two great empires that are still to come. And it's Gabriel who's given the task of telling Daniel what the meaning of this message is. And then in chapter 9, Daniel goes on to pray on behalf of his people. And it's Gabriel again who comes to him 
to give him the message about God's anointed one, God's Messiah that is going to come. So that's the first place that we find Gabriel coming. And what do we find? We find one, he is an incredibly awesome, powerful figure who causes Daniel to fall face down. And yet secondly, he comes with God's revelation, with God's key understanding about history, about what is going to unfold both in terms of empires that are to come, but ultimately of the King of Kings, the Son of God, who will come to bring all things together in the kingdom of God. So there was something significant about the need for Daniel to understand that vision for God to need to send a messenger in Gabriel. Yes, I think so, because he could have easily just given him the interpretation in his mind. And I think God wanted him to clearly understand what was going on. I mean, remember, this was a time of enormous upheaval in the ancient world. You know, the empire of Assyria had given way to the empire of Babylon. These were powerful, hostile nations. And yet here is Daniel interpreting the dreams of these pagan kings and them having to acknowledge the living God over them. And then God's saying, and still two more empires are to come. But Daniel, don't worry and tell my people not to worry because all this is part of paving the way for the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the King of Kings, the coming of the one who will set up a kingdom that cannot be destroyed, to use one of Daniel's phrases. So these are crucial messages, and it seems that Gabriel is sent whenever there's something incredibly crucial or significant to be revealed, which is when we'll find him cropping up in the New Testament as well. Mm. So clearly Daniel could have needed Gabriel at that point, um, even though he was never going to live through what he was, what he was seeing. Yes, and I think when you, when you think of the revelation, the level of revelation that Daniel had already been getting, this, this, like, this had turned the dial up. This was like serious stuff. This was God saying, Daniel, pin your ears back, boy. I, I want you to hear something. So he sends really his most senior angel, one of his two most senior angels, his messengers, to communicate this. And he sends him in a form that yet yeah, he looks like a man. He has the form of a man. And it's like he sees a man and, and yet, and yet there's a, there's a something else, and clearly that something else causes him just to fall down hmm. because he is so overwhelmed with the what the power, the glory of this angelic figure and the message that he's bringing. And in fact, does Gabriel just leave him falling down, or does the text actually indicate that he might help him to his feet? Yeah, in in the chapter 8, when Gabriel comes along to explain the vision of the ram and the goat, he doesn't leave him down there. I, I think that this is one of the lovely things. God doesn't leave us down there on our knees. Yes, our knees is a good place to be at times to recognise who we are, but, but God lifts him up. And uh, in chapter 8, we read that while Gabriel was was speaking, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Again, what a powerful encounter this must have been. Mm. But Gabriel roused me with a touch. Isn't that lovely? Mm. And helped me to my feet and said, I'm here to tell you what will happen later. And, and here is the sort of the two sides of who God is, the incredible 
power and overwhelming majesty, yet the gentle raising him with a touch and getting him to his feet. It's the same thing happens to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 1, he has this incredible vision, again in exile, of the glory of God on his glorious throne. And Ezekiel sees it's a mobile throne and it's gone into exile with them. And he falls down as though he was dead. And yet, chapter 2, we hear the voice saying, Son of man, get to your feet. And so our God is one who yet doesn't stop us coming to that point of falling down and recognizing who God is. And yet he's always the one who stretches out to lift us and say, okay, but I want you to get up now. I've got work for you. I just keep coming back to your example in India, that it wasn't some incredible Hulk that came along. It was something, someone that you thought was human, but actually intervened and just gently let you Yes, he, Go. Uh, he, and he just looked like he... All I remember was that he was tall. He was wearing a suit. It was not the smartest of suits, but it was a reasonably smart suit. And him just slowly stretching his arms out full length. I mean, who does that in the middle of a street? And looking at this guy so strangely as I walked away behind him, and there was, in a sense, the majesty and power of God needed at that moment, and, and yet that tenderness. And we'll find that too as we, we go into the New Testament and see where Gabriel appears there. Well, I was going to say, I, I suspect it's linked to the Christmas story because I associate uh, Gabriel with, with Christmas. Yes. And in fact, we find Gabriel appearing twice, uh, sort of in that Christmas and pre-Christmas story. The first is where he announces the birth of John the Baptist to Zachariah, the priest uh, who was married to Elizabeth. And as we've seen in a previous episode, they were childless. And Gabriel comes along and brings this incredible message that they are not going to just get pregnant, not just have a son, but this son is going to be the promised fulfillment of Malachi, the messenger who would go ahead to prepare uh, the way of the Lord. And, and when Zechariah struggles to believe it, He's struck dumb. There's the power mm. of this angel, Gabriel. This, this guy is he's, he's tender because Zechariah will be given his speech back when John is born and Zechariah eventually says his name is John and agrees with the angel. There's a power and yet a tenderness. And the other one is where uh, Mary is told by the angel Gabriel that she is going to conceive and give birth to a son and is, he's going to be the son of God most high. And again, Mary, as we saw in a previous episode, is not unbelieving but does ask how can this be? And here's the tenderness that Gabriel brings. He says, go and visit your relative Elizabeth, the one who couldn't have a child. She's pregnant. That will be a sign to you. So it's almost like each time Gabriel comes, he comes with this incredible awesomeness and majesty and, and people fall down and, and, and they can't believe what they're seeing. And yet there's a gentle tenderness. What a powerful picture this is of what God himself is like, whom these angels serve. That encounter with Mary also has Gabriel, I believe, saying, do not be afraid. Yes. 
And again, there's the tenderness, isn't it, of the heart of this most powerful servant of God. He comes with incredible power, but with incredible gentleness. And this is how we see Gabriel uh, again and again appearing. Now, I said again and again because we've, we've sort of exhausted his stories now. So those two appearances to Daniel, his appearance to Zechariah telling him about John the Baptist and his appearance to Mary. So, you know, this guy, you know, if you got cast as Gabriel, you know, in the whole story of the Bible, uh, you'd have quite a big part, but it would be quite a short part <laughs> as well. And yet he plays such an incredible part. And each one of these carries really significant messages. This is not just any old angel. This is one that God entrusts with incredible truth to Daniel, the truth that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but there is a kingdom of God coming that will last forever and outshine them all. To John, the, the one whom they'd been waiting for was about to come and John the Baptist would be the one who would point to this coming Messiah. He would be that promised messenger, as Gabriel tells Zechariah, John's father. And then the message to Mary. Wow, this is the turning point of the whole of history, isn't it? Mm. All the Old Testament story that we've been following through is now coming to a climax, to its turning point, uh, to its focal point. And again, it's Gabriel who comes with that message. So he has a small part in the great drama, but an incredibly significant part. You hear people talk about fallen angels. Is there any truth in that? Well, yeah. Demons is the Bible's word for them. Demons seem to be fallen angels. Now, we get a little glimpse of that in both Isaiah and Ezekiel, who seem to see the fall of angels at the beginning of time. Now, it, it's spoken through a prophecy about, in Ezekiel's case, the king of Tyre, but it's almost as if then he slips from talking about the human king and his rebelliousness against God to the original rebellion way back at the beginning. So these two prophetic glimpses where we see angels rebelling against God. We're never told what, we're never told why. And they are cast out of heaven. But here's the thing I love. In one of the uh, prophetic passages in, in the book of Revelation, where it talks about the stars of the heaven and, and, and Satan sweeping some of those stars of the heaven, they're symbols of angels from the skies. Satan takes a third of the angels mm -hmm. with him. And here's the bit I love to focus on. That means if Satan was able to deceive and take a third of the angels, there are two good angels left. So for every one demon, <laughs> there's two good angels. So the, the other yes, two thirds, yeah. yeah. We we win. <laughs> so we've nothing to fear. We've absolutely nothing to fear. And in fact the New Testament goes out of its way to tell us really that we shouldn't be focusing either on demons or angels. You know, some people can get really caught up about demons and focus on them. Jesus saw demons as very real, dealt with them when he needed to, prayed against them. But he never made a big issue 
of it. It didn't become a demon-delivering ministry. He simply did it. But equally in the New Testament, there seemed to be a group of Christians who got caught up in in angels. Oh, angels, angels. And they even got to the place where it looked like they were starting to worship angels. So Paul has to talk in his letter to the Colossians and, and challenge the Christians there not to be deceived and to fall into worship of angels. Yes, they are mighty servants of God, but you know what? They are just mighty servants of God. And the whole book of Hebrews talks about how Jesus is far superior to angels. So in chapter one, he talks about how Jesus is better than anything the Old Testament had, better than Moses, better than the covenant, better than the law, better than angels. Jesus is better So why would you want angels when you've got Jesus, the very son of God himself? And sort of in summary, it sounds to me as if you recommend that we don't focus too much on angels, but take something from even Gabriel's experience. Yes, I think what Gabriel tells us is this. He represents God. He is so close to God. He reflects very much what God is. Awesome, powerful. incredible, fearful, and yet with such gentleness and yet with a message to bring. And Gabriel, in a sense, personifies what God is like. But listen, we don't go searching for Gabriel or Michael or any other angel. What we go searching for is God. And in our pursuit of God and in our desire to be true disciples of Jesus, it may well be that at times God sends us an angel to help us, stop us, direct us, caution us. And sometimes we might be aware it was an angel and sometimes it might just be like that figure I encountered in that street in Mumbai in India who protected me and it was only as I walked away with shock and saw that he'd gone that I thought, my goodness, God just sent an angel to protect me. And That can still happen for us today. But our focus needs to be not the angels of God, but God of the angels. David Tavener was in conversation with Mike Beaumont, who's written about the people of the Bible throughout the Christian Basics Bible. Catch their conversations anytime on the UCB player or with your favourite podcast provider. Just search for Bible Biogs in 30 minutes.